Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're having a nice weekend. Well, Kentucky's general election campaign is set now. The Republican nominee for governor is Attorney General Daniel Cameron. The Democrat is incumbent Governor Andy Beshear. It will be one of the most watched races in the country. Former President Donald Trump endorsed Cameron and has an interest in him winning the general election. Democrats will be all in for Beshear as they try to hold on to the one piece of state government they still control. The two will try to work to control the discussion going forward as the campaign unfolds, and that was already on display on election night. Others are already weighing in on their uh, desires about the candidates and the campaign as well, and Phil Pendleton takes a look. Tonight, there is optimism that Andy Bashir will be seen as the favorite to win a second term in office in the November election. I don't, I don't foresee this as, as much of a challenge. I think he is so beloved in this state. His popularity numbers are through the roof. He's the most popular Democratic governor in the United States right now. From COVID to tornadoes to flooding and jobs, supporters say Bashir has a lot in his corner. But Republicans say there's cracks in his armor that show weak leadership. And they expect Daniel Cameron to focus on that. There's a, a whole line of kind of uh, weak leadership that goes through Andy Bashir's story, uh, keeping the schools closed longer than necessary, the unemployment insurance debacle, juvenile justice. And one of the reasons why so much attention is being focused on Kentucky's governor's race is that it's only one of three states with a governor's race this fall. And there have been a lot of questions of what happens this year will transfer to what happens next year in the U.S. presidential race. Will it be a litmus test of trends that could sweep the nation? And both parties want to have the talking point of we just won a big election in Kentucky heading into the presidential election next year and heading into the fight for Congress next year. We'll continue to bring it back to the kitchen table issues that matter to Kentuckians. Things like jobs, things like making sure that we recruit and retain the best public school teachers for our state. Jacqueline Coleman will continue to to be the lieutenant governor candidate for Bashir, Cameron has until August 8th to name a running mate. In Frankfurt, Phil Pendleton, WKYT. And in our discussion today, we'll look ahead, but also we want to look back at the Republican primary that got so much attention and how it all went down. Joining me first is political consultant Adam Feldman of Direct Edge. He's vice president there. He has more than 25 years of experience behind the scenes and political roles all over the country. But before that, he got his political science degree from Eastern Kentucky University. Mr. Feldman is joining us. Thank you very much. We appreciate you coming in. Thank you for, uh, for having me. We look at uh, this primary and there was all the excitement, the debates, the TV ads, the campaign and all of that, and only 14% of people went to the polls. Uh, what causes a low turnout in uh, what appeared to be a, a high interest election, at least from the standpoint of uh, the news media and, and, the, and the candidates? Well, I think I would argue that it was a high turnout election, actually, especially on the Republican side. It was 14% uh, across the board for Republicans and Democrats, but Republican turnout was over 19%, which is more than in 2019 or 2015, and we had more votes cast than those years also, and, and also what you're seeing is because we have more Republicans, so obviously you have more vote, votes cast. So on the Republican, Republican side, it's definitely a high turnout election for a primary. Um, you know, I think there's only a certain amount of people who are really concerned about primary elections. Um, you see that across the board, across the country, where you know only a certain small percentage of people actually get involved in the primaries, and there's a lot more interest uh, for a general election. 
I want to let our viewers know that you've uh, primarily advised Republicans over the years, and as you look at the GOP primary, which uh, was the, the, the high interest mm -hmm. area of that, uh, of that uh, campaign, uh, it was uh, just decided Cameron wins big, Ryan Quarles was second, Kelly Kraft spent $11 million, mostly her own money, and came in third. Uh, what was Kraft up against in, in, in having that kind of money and dominance of the TV airwaves for weeks and weeks, uh, but then unable to gain uh, traction? Well, I think there were two things that happened early on that kind of hampered her campaign. The first was Daniel Cameron was able to secure the Trump endorsement. Um, that's something that Kelly Kraft clearly wanted. She hosted Donald Trump uh, at a big fundraiser at the Kentucky Derby in 2022. And you know, a few weeks later, I think uh, Daniel Cameron turned around and got the endorsement from Donald Trump. I think that really kind of hampered her a little bit. And then the other thing that happened early on, it was either her first campaign ad or second campaign ad was the, the empty chair ad, where a lot of Democrats and some in the media you know, said that Kelly Kraft was misleading voters, saying that she had lost a family member to fentanyl when she didn't. And I think that really kind of took the wind out of the sails. And she, to me, from where I stood, never seemed to regain her footing and run a, uh, you know, run the kind of campaign that I think she would have liked to have run. She was an ambassador to Canada and to the United Nations, yes, so sir. she had held that kind of post, but it was a first-time candidate and, it, and had not been out there before doing this. Is that a handicap? I, I think so, especially, especially when you run for governor. Uh, someone told me one time that in, in Kentucky, running for governor is like running for magistrate in every county. You know, you got to be personable, you got to be out there, you got to be present. It, it's a tough thing to do, especially if you've never done it before. Um, you know. Kelly Kraft has been around politics in Kentucky a long time, but never having been on a ballot and at this level, certainly could uh, could be a pro, you know make things a little bit harder for her going going forward. Does she potentially have a political future? Oh, I think so. I think uh, Republicans. I mean, Kelly Kraft has been a part of the Republicans uh, Party in Kentucky for for years. Uh, you know, she's been very helpful. Uh, I think we all appreciate her and, and you know the future for her is, is whatever she wants it to be. Quarles uh, had thought that uh, he had this uh, network of contacts that he had set up around the mm -hmm. state and he did. Uh, he had uh, some 200 endorsements from local officials like county judge executives and magistrates and lawmakers, state representatives and the like. Uh, he traveled a lot, expected to do well. He came in second mm -hmm. but a distant second. He did. He, uh, they built a good grassroots network. Uh, they're very proud of that. Obviously, like you said, he had all those endorsements. I know their campaign was probably the most active on the door knocking front. Uh, they had people out knocking doors every day. Uh, someone once told me they knocked 60,000 doors, which I think is a lot for a primary. They, uh, so they, they had a really good ground game, a good network. Um, they did come in second, but they overperformed the last poll by 10 points. So I think there's uh, Definitely, you know, they were connecting with voters and in, in, in a positive way. Clearly, it did not uh, move the meter in the way that the Trump endorsement did for Cameron. How powerful was that endorsement? I think it was pretty powerful, but I think also, I think the Trump endorsement was power, powerful, but it just goes to show Daniel ran a really good campaign. He didn't make any mistakes. You know, contrast that with kind of what I said about the, the empty chair ad. Daniel didn't have any of those issues going on. So, you know, he didn't make any mistakes. He ran a great campaign. He won 108 counties. So I, I think, you know, Ryan overperformed by about 10 points from the last poll, but Daniel just ran a great campaign. 
Is uh, Quarles potentially a, a running mate now for, for Cameron, do you think? Uh, I think there are probably a lot of potential running mates right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly he's one of them. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, his, his network of people would make him appealing. Uh, he's a known name that makes him appealing. He's a good campaigner that makes him appealing. But there are a lot of other people who, you know, could fill that role as well. And, and it, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's what is the best fit for Daniel Cameron. Some may not realize that uh, Quarles has a lot of options. He has a, a PhD in education yes. and a law degree, exactly. so uh, he, uh, will, uh, uh, he'll be all right. Uh, <laughs> what matters uh, most in these campaigns? Is it the message? Is it the image of a candidate? Or is it the direct appeal to the voters? What, what really makes the difference? Well, I think it's everything. Um, you know, to run a modern campaign in, in 2023, you have to have a good message that appeals to voters, but you have to have money to, um, to be able to, to use that message. And you got to have a good shoe leather, you know, campaign kind of, uh, you know, like, like the Quarles campaign, but it's all, all, all of the above. It, it's hard to win a statewide campaign where one of those facets is, is lacking. You've uh, been involved in a lot of direct mail efforts. So that's yes, uh, something that you do a lot of. Uh, and people claim to hate those <laughs> coming into their boxes. You know, you get a collection by the end of the campaign, and uh, you've either thrown them away or they're stacked up somewhere, <laughs> uh, you know, as people see those coming. Uh, yet they seem to be effective. Uh, why? Well, I think people do read them. Uh, if, if you look at political direct mail, it is, you know, short and sweet, right? You don't want to get too wordy. Um, that's why it's a lot of headlines. Uh, but people will see it and they will read it. I think a lot of people, a lot of people do take it and throw it away. I think a lot of other people set it on their counter and they read it every night or at the end of every week. They go through it and they look at it. Uh, I'll tell you, I know uh, in New Mexico we used to do post-election surveys where after an election we would go in and, and call somebody and say, did you vote, who did you vote for and why? And they would read back the mail to you. So I know people read it. So it can be effective, it's gotta be good mail. You know, bad mail doesn't work, good mail does. How do you know who to target? Well, we look at a, a lot of things. Uh, vote, pe past vote history. Obviously, uh, we don't mail non-voters. But, you, you know, we can look at women with a message or, or, or seniors w with a specific message. We have people identified um, as, you know, social conservatives or, or hunters or something like that. So you can identify all, all those folks and, and kind of the topic of the mail that, that's who we de determine who to target. Why are those messages so often negative? Uh, you know, it, it seems that direct mail is that special place where the attacks r really are, are, are the most uh, uh, prominent. Well, I think with mail, you can do it. It's not like, uh, when you do it on TV, it gets a little bit, you know, kind of in your face. Uh, the mail's a little bit more But this is maybe. brought into somebody's home. It, it is, absolutely. I think, uh, I think the mail is, is a good way to deliver all, all kinds of messages, though. Also positive messages and contrast messages. So uh, it, it's not just negative messages we're doing on mail. Do you try to do that, positive on absolutely. one side, maybe negative on the other? We uh, do that, do a lot of positive, you know, straight positives and some negatives. How do you figure out what words work? You know, what, what, what gets people motivated and moves the needle? The word woke, for instance, you know, wasn't really part of the landscape just a few years ago, and now everybody <laughs> uses it on the conservative side. Uh, does that word poll well or what? Well, I don't know if it polls well, but it's what people like you are talking about. So it's every, you know, it, the hot button issues in the media, and, and it's, you know, the local news, the cable news channels, they start using those buzzwords and they end up in mail because that's what people are tuned into. 
Um, so you will say that that will be a large part of this uh, campaign ahead as well, the, the, the direct mail. We'll see a lot of TV. We understand yeah. there's some of that TV maybe starting in the next few days. I mean, this campaign is not going to wait. No, no, no. This campaign is getting off to an early start. I, I saw that uh, Governor Bashir is going on TV uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, yeah, so this campaign is not going to wait. The mail probably won't start hitting until later in the year, I would imagine. But uh, you'll see plenty of TV, mail, radio, digital advertising. You saw that, you know, in that uh, Republican primary, though, uh, you know, uh, Cameron was ahead in the beginning mm -hmm. and then finished ahead. I mean, there was this uh, campaign very expensive from the standpoint of Kelly Craft, and it didn't change anything. Yeah, I think that's because uh, Daniel Cameron didn't make any mistakes. They ran a great campaign. They won, again, they won 108 counties in a 12-person primary, which to me is mind-boggling. Um, I thought Ryan Quarles would have done better out west and won some counties. He did not uh, win any out west. I mean, so it just shows that Daniel ran a good campaign from start to finish. I mean, he led wire to wire, to use a horse racing term. And, uh, yeah, I think they just ran a solid effort. You mentioned didn't make mistakes. You know, Bashir uh, does not tend to make mistakes. His father tended not to make mistakes. It was often said that... A Bashir campaign is always on time and on message, mm -hmm. and you're saying the same can be said for Daniel Cameron. So, uh, what kind of dynamic does that create in the next few months? Well, you know, I think in 2019, I thought Andy Bashir ran a pretty, he was pretty risk averse. He didn't go out a whole lot. The one time, I remember the one time he did go out and give like an impromptu speech, he said they were going to fight the Trump agenda. And you knew he didn't mean that. Like he, that was he misspoke, and it seemed like he disappeared for a while and didn't go back out. Um, so I think, but I think they're both good politicians. Good politicians. Andy Bashir's a survivor. You know, he's won two statewide races by less than ten thousand votes total. So I think uh, they're both good politicians, and we're in for a pretty good campaign season. We had an interesting uh, few months ahead. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you for coming in. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you for having good, me. Good insights, uh, particularly with the, uh, the direct mail part. We appreciate that. It's interesting to, to know more about that. In just a moment, we'll be back with more of our campaign 2023 coverage on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. The stage is set for the November election in the race for Kentucky Governor. Governor Andy Bashir and Attorney General Daniel Cameron will go head-to-head -head for the state's top job. It was a big night for both of the candidates on election night, and here's what they had to say in their victory speeches. We cannot like let candidates who care more about a title than our people cost us that next great opportunity. So much opportunity and think that we've created during some of the toughest years that we as Kentuckians have ever lived through. A global pandemic, tornadoes in western Kentucky that leveled whole, whole communities, including my dad's hometown of Dawson Springs, record flooding in eastern Kentucky that decimated places where people had lived for generations. But my faith teaches me that while weeping may linger in the evening, joy comes in the morning. Look at how we respond. Yeah. Look at how we respond. Neighbors, rescuing neighbors. The church in Dawson Springs where my grandfather preached was rebuilt in weeks after being flattened because the community showed up to get it done. 
People hauled out debris, volunteered their time, donated even when their own budgets were tight. We have truly lived the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is the Kentucky I know. Good people looking out for each other. It's a stark contrast to what we've seen in this primary on the other side. They're trying to pit us against each other, calling anybody who disagrees with them names, telling you it's okay to yell, even hate your fellow human being. We are so much stronger than that. People in Kentucky know that this isn't about right versus left. It's about getting things done. There are no Democrat or Republican bridges. Delivering clean, reliable drinking water is not partisan. It's why I've now signed 627 bipartisan bills into law, 627. You know, in the last four years, some people have said that I wouldn't be able to get our priorities through a Republican legislature, that we wouldn't be able to get things done. Well, guess what? half a billion dollars for clean drinking water. The largest public investment in the expansion of broadband. $250 million for career and technical education. $15,000 across the board raises for our Kentucky State Police. We're making progress on the biggest infrastructure projects in our history. The Brent Spence Bridge Companion Project is going to get done. While I'm governor, we're going to four-lane the entire Mountain Parkway. And we've done so much on the I-69 corridor, we're now just waiting on Indiana. And if that wasn't enough, we passed sports betting and medical cannabis in this last session. So just think about what we can get done in the next four years of this administration. For starters, we're going to get our educators a real raise, a big raise. We are going to pass universal pre-K. And this campaign has tried to embody the promise of America, that if you work hard and if you stand on principle, anything is possible. And tonight, tonight we prove that. Tonight we prove that here in Kentucky, the American dream is alive and well because here in Kentucky, you aren't judged by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character.
So to anyone who looks like me, know that you can achieve anything. Know that in this country and in Kentucky, all that matters are your values. But I've got some disappointing news. Sadly, Andy Bashir wants you to believe that dream doesn't exist anymore. He wants you to believe that dream and those ideals are old-fashioned. The new religion of the left casts doubt on the greatness of America. They embrace a picture of this country and this commonwealth that is rooted in division, that is hostile to faith, and that is committed to the erosion of our education system. Andy Bashir is resigned to live in a commonwealth where violent crime is high and the workforce participation rate is low. He's content to preside over the abandonment of our inner cities and the desolation of our rural communities. Now, the governor during this election will try to take credit for things done by a Republican legislature. But no amount of window dressing will absolve him of his actual record. Our people, our people are smart. The governor cannot pretend to have hit a triple when everybody else knows that he was born on third base. Play ball. Play ball. That's right. Play ball. <laughs> Since he has become governor, Kentucky has 27,000 fewer men and women working. Our workforce participation rate is lower than it's ever been. Violent crime runs rampant in our largest cities. Fentanyl is ravaging our communities. The left is trying to hijack women's sports. And our schools are on the verge of becoming breeding grounds for liberal and progressive ideas. But rather than face these issues head on, this governor sits idly by. Rather than promote a culture of work, he told people to stay home for two years. And, and, rather, and rather than create a culture of collaboration between the Kentucky State Police and local law enforcement, he's opted instead to sit on his hands and turn a blind eye to a statewide increase in crime. And rather than hold Joe Biden accountable for his failures at the southern border, he embraces the far left's open border policies. He vetoed legislation that would have stopped biological men from competing in women's sports. And rather than speak out in support of parents and grandparents who have been called domestic terrorists by the Department of Justice simply because they care about what their children are learning in school, he said absolutely nothing. I'm here to tell you tonight that a governor who will not speak out on these issues and who will not stand up for your interests has abdicated his responsibility to the Commonwealth and is not fit to lead it any longer. Cameron is the first African-American nominee for governor by a major political party in the Commonwealth. So we're asking, how will it affect the black vote come November? Today, WKYT's Garrett Weimer and photojournalist Darnell Crenshaw break down very different perspectives on that topic.
Here in Kentucky, you aren't judged by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. We're now looking at the possibility of the first black American governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And that really is exciting. That is a historic achievement. He should feel rightfully proud. It's, it is it's historic. I, um, I'm, I'm cautious about the candidate and who he is and what his track record has been. I, I'm not enamored with black faces in high places. Dr. Ricky L. Jones is the chair of Pan-African Studies at UofL. He knows Attorney General Cameron. At one point, he was his professor at the university. He believes Governor Bashir's policies have more in line with the African-American community than Cameron's policies. Black people who are politically astute would not vote for Daniel Cameron because he, his, his political sensibilities are not in line with, with black progress or well-being at all. T.J. Litifik is a political strategist who's worked on dozens of Republican campaigns. He believes racial profiling and justice reform are key issues to Kentucky African-American voters. It's going to be a very interesting dynamic at play. Even though General Cameron is an African-American, there is strong resentment in the African-American community uh, by the way that he handled the Breonna Taylor uh, situation in Louisville. Speaking of an interesting dynamic, State Representative George Brown is chair of the Kentucky Black Legislative Caucus. The group hasn't met yet about Cameron's Republican nomination, but Representative Brown says it could possibly put the group in an unusual predicament. The caucus is overwhelmingly Democrat. He encourages black voters to do their homework. I would hope that African-American people, regardless of their party affiliation, would really study the candidates and who can be of the best interest of the people of the Commonwealth. But Dr. Donald Douglas, the first black conservative state senator in Kentucky's history, says voters should think for themselves. We have a lot of really intelligent people here in the Commonwealth, and I think those people can figure things out for themselves if we just present the facts. In Lexington, Garrett Weimer, WKYT. And political strategist T.J. Litifik says the African-American vote in Kentucky is about 10 to 12 percent, and that can be a major influence in the governor's race. We'll be back with a word about next week's program in just a moment. And we plan to begin our coverage of the race for Kentucky Attorney General on next week's edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. That's our program for this week. Thank you for joining us. Make it a good week ahead.